This is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. You'll hear lectures from my women's Bible studies that I teach at my church. I've written in-depth studies on seven books of the Bible. They're available on Amazon. There's much more information on my website, elizabeththicken.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's dig into God's Word together now, knowing that His message of salvation has been spoken to us by His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll trust that the Holy Spirit will teach us the things of God. In this episode on Psalm 19, I will explain six different ways that David describes the Word of God, and then I'll remind you of three critical views and truths about the Bible as a whole. Thanks for listening. So welcome, welcome, ladies. Thank you for being here today. And I loved being outside today under the bright, beautiful blue sky in the bright sun. I got to see the sunrise coming this morning and the sky was so clear and lovely that I even got to see the moon you know, while we were sitting out there for our discussion. And that's so appropriate because we've been studying Psalm 19. Let's enjoy God's word and specifically Psalm 19 together this morning. It goes from one grand praise of God to another. First, the Lord is praised for the glory that's seen in his creation and then we see the glory of God in his word. And the last psalm we looked at, Psalm 18, praised God because of the thunder and lightning, his power in that display. And here we see the display of God's glory and power in the vast blue sky, a cloudless day, or a day with lots and lots of countless clouds. The expanse above us declares the beauty and glory of God, whether it's day or night. The sky itself is a reflection of God's infinite, perfect, creative being. And the sun, wow, the sun. What a happy sun we have today. And my little tiny attempts of sunrise and sunset and rainbows. But I want to give you some perspective about our planet and the sun. Our planet, oh, look at there, someone needs admitting. And am I, okay, our planet, the Earth, looks pretty big when you compare it to some little planets, but compared to Jupiter, the Earth is very small. Compared to the sun, the Earth is tiny. So the sun seems really big, but the sun is not so big. Arcturus is bigger than the sun. And there's something even bigger than that. Antares, did it, did it go? Antares, now the sun looks tiny. So God made all this, wow, I can't comprehend it. Uh, astronomy is amazing to me, but I don't get it. It's just over my head, right? That's a bad pun. <laughs> a few years ago, there was a total eclipse of the sun. Our family tried to see it. This is the day before when we put our glasses on and we practiced looking at the sun. I took a picture of the eclipse through my glasses. I mean, through the, I took a picture of the sun through my glasses. The next day when we were supposed to see the eclipse, it clouded up and it thundered and we didn't get to see it at all. 
but we had fun together. If the sun is bright and blinding and powerful, which it is, how much more so is the Lord God who created it? I brought flowers today because the sun makes them grow and bloom. We should let the light of God's Word make us grow and bloom. I also want to show you a few pictures of the night sky because the heavens declare the glory of the Lord at night. These are pictures of Saturn taken by an infrared and ultraviolet camera, Jupiter, the colors. Look at Mercury. And this is Mars. One day when we can see with eyes from heaven, they'll be more beautiful than that, probably more colorful. When God has made the new heavens and the earth, new earth, what are we going to see? Nature shows us the Lord and even more perfectly does his word reveal his character and his ways and his power. We need what God's word tells us because we humans need restoration and wisdom and instruction and joy. And these are some of the things that Psalm 19 tells us that God's word does for us. As God reveals himself and his ways, we will always find ourselves lacking just as David did and expressed it in Psalm 19. We will be warned of sin. We will be convicted of sin. We will find that we fall short of the glory of God and we need forgiveness and we need change. So we're going to focus on the Word of God as we have seen it described to us in Psalm 19. And then I'm going to also look at the um, context of Scripture and the whole Word of God briefly. So there are six titles for Scripture in Psalm 19, and each one is used to show a slightly different aspect of God's words. The first four phrases that we'll look at show us how Scripture impacts us personally. What does it do for us and to us? And the fifth and sixth phrases tell us about Scripture itself. So what does God's Word do for us? Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. To be perfect means to be complete, whole, sufficient, blameless. The law of the Lord, Torah, is sufficient for us. It's complete. It has everything that we need. Everything that we need for our souls to be restored other versions, translations say that the Torah preserves our life, it converts the soul, it revives the soul. And this is the first aspect mentioned by David here because it is so critical. It's our first and greatest need. Because since that first disobedient taste of fruit in the Garden of Eden, every human has needed restoring. You restore something that's broken and damaged in our souls were broken, damaged. The Hebrew verb for restore, as you see up here, is shuv, and it means to turn back. This is something that can be done physically, but there's also a spiritual sense of this word, and it means to turn from evil and turn to good. It's an act of repentance. So the Torah, the teaching of the Lord, is sufficient to turn your souls from sin and turn your soul back to God. That's why scripture is necessary in evangelism, in counseling to make the change. 
it's necessary in teaching, in worship, in prayer. God's word is the agent of change that the Holy Spirit will use in our lives to give us life in Christ and then to transform us into the image of Christ. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It fixes what was broken. Then we see that David says in Psalm 19:7, B, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This sounds like a proverb. It's short, clear, pretty easy to understand. But there's depth that we want to unpack and look at each of these terms. The testimony of the Lord is his declaration. It is his statement of his will. This is what he wants. Testimony refers to the Ten Commandments that were placed in the ark as a witness to the holy character of God, but that phrase does not refer to the Ten Commandments alone. It refers to all of God's Word. All of God's Word is His testimony, His declaration of His will for us. And this testimony is sure. It's established. It's faithful. It's dependable. This is God's nature, and therefore it is the nature of His Word, faithful. This phrase tells us that God's testimony, His declaration is dependable. It's not wishy-washy. It's not weak. It's not just a passing thought. It is sure, solid, steady, certain. You can count on it. God said it. You can count on it. You can believe it. And what does it do? It makes wise the simple. Simple can be translated foolish. What it means in this verse is naive or immature. So the Word of God teaches the simple, the naive, the immature, how to grow up. It teaches all of us who start out naive and immature because we're broken. It teaches us how to live. One commentator says, those who know God are expected to exhibit His character in the many practical affairs of life. God's wisdom is not theoretical and speculative, but practical, based on revealed principles of right and wrong, and it's to be lived out in daily life. What God says is to be lived out in our daily lives. It is for practical wisdom. Oliver Wendell Holmes said that some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But the very opposite of that is what is true. If you fix your thoughts on the Lord and His Word and you want to obey Him and follow Him, you're going to do a lot of earthly good. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's Word is reliable and it shows us how to live God's way. David says in Psalm 19, 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts are statutes, orders, rules, the specific instructions that the Lord gives. And what comes to mind when we think of specific instructions from the Lord? In the Old Testament, well, he says, eat this and don't eat that. Lots of instructions about what you wear, how you treat your neighbor. These are things that do give us joy when we apply them rightly. The word right doesn't just mean right versus wrong. The Hebrew word yashar means to be straight. And the rules of God, His precepts, are those instructions that make our way straight. 
They put us on the right road. They put us in the right direction, doing the right thing. So God's precepts, His instructions concern practical matters of everyday life, which God ordained for the good of His people. God's instructions, God's details, His precepts, the rules are for our good. In Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16, God says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Good stuff comes from keeping the precepts of the Lord. People are healthier, wealthier, kinder, more civilized people when following the rules, the precepts, the statutes of the Lord. So our takeaway from that phrase is that God's rules are right and they give joy to the heart. They give joy to the whole being. They lead us in the right direction. Next we see David say in Psalm 19, 8b, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And I love this one. The commandment is similar to the idea of precept, but commandment is God's def definite authoritative command. Thus says the Lord. Here's what you do. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Thou shalt not have any other God before me. The Lord's commands are clearly revealed to all people. He hasn't kept them hidden away and made them hard to find. In Deuteronomy 30, 9 through 16, he says, This commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. The Lord's commands are accessible to all people. They're in black and white and red. And some Bibles, are, they're even color-coded, if you want a rainbow Bible. And the Lord's commands are pure. Let's think about that word. The verb upon, is it up there? Uh, there, sorry. All right. The verb upon which the word pure is based means to purge, to purify, to choose, to cleanse, to make bright, to test or prove. So the adjective used here describing the commandment of the Lord means that they are pure, clean, and radiant. I know some of your translation says that about them. They are radiant. So if the Word of God is bright and shiny and clean, and we expose ourselves to it, then it will show in our eyes. That's what this phrase tells us. The verse literally says, the commandment of God is pure, causing our eyes to shine. And Ecclesiastes 8.1 has a similar statement. Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. When we are encouraged by the word of the Lord, our eyes will light up. Let it show <laughs> when you've been with the Lord. Let it show. 
The commandments of the Lord provide insight into the meaning of life in order that it may be lived to its fullest significance. The commandment of the Lord gives wisdom, and that will show in our eyes and in our lives. David said in Psalm 19, 7 and 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. With these four phrases, we can see what the Word of God does for us. It turns us from brokenness and sin and turns us back to God. It makes us grow up by showing us how to live God's way. It gives us joy as it puts us on the right path. It gives us insight for living. We are born into this world naive, immature, broken, sad, even if you don't know it, and in the dark, even if you don't know it. But God's Word is available, and God's Word changes us. Well, that's what God's Word does because of what God's Word is. And now we see David's statements of what God's Word is. Psalm 19.9 tells us, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord. That's a strange and uncommon way to refer to the Scriptures. But the poetry and parallelism, that's a tricky word, Parallelism in Psalm 19 shows that David is using this fear of the Lord as a title for God's words. When you read passages that reveal God's holiness and awesome judgments, they bring about the fear of the Lord. God's word causes reverence. The phrase we're looking at says, the fear of the Lord is clean. What's going on with this word? The Hebrew word used here, tahor, is used almost exclusively in regard to ritual or moral purity. It's usually describing the purification that someone uh, has for the furnishings of the temple or the purity required of those who've been defiled by leprosy or childbirth or war or death. There is a purity that is required to enter the presence of the Lord. But this says God's word is pure. It's clean. It didn't need purifying because it came from God himself. So what God says is already clean. And this verse says it endures forever. It stands. It's eternal because God's word has no impurity. It will not decay. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You know these flowers are going to fade and disappear. But God's word that we're meditating on will never change or fade or disappear or be obsolete. His word stands forever. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Oh, you can have peace because of that statement. 
God's Word is the permanent foundation for our lives. It gives us the right perspective for our lives here on earth and our life after our time on earth. Then in Psalm 19.9b, David summarizes everything about God's Word in the last phrase. He says, the judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. And judgments here refer to the decisions made by the judge. That's the Lord. And these judgments are true, and this is based on the Hebrew word emet. This is another word that means that God's Word is faithful, reliable, certain, dependable. We know that God doesn't lie, so there's no falsehood or deception in God's words to us. They are righteous altogether, meaning all of them, completely so, entirely so. You can count on every instruction of the Lord being righteous, upright, just, fair, so now we've seen what God's Word does and what God's Word is according to Psalm 19. And I want to share a few more points with you of what all Scripture teaches us about Scripture. These are concepts that you're probably familiar with, but it's always good to have a little reminder, especially because the world does not agree with what the Bible says about itself. You need to know what you believe about the Bible. There are three things you should know and believe. The Bible is inspired by God. The Bible is authoritative because it is inspired by God. The Bible is inerrant because it is inspired by God. It is in understanding these three perspectives that we can grasp the magnitude of the book that we hold in our hands and why we need to spend time reading it and absorbing it and learning it and loving it. The Bible is inspired by God. Ordinary men were supernaturally influenced by the Holy Spirit who caused their writings to be an accurate record of God's message to mankind. This is miraculous. This is amazing. This is God's supernatural work. This is God's power at work through His Holy Spirit, influencing, moving men. This shows us God's sovereignty at work as well. Ordinary men were supernaturally influenced by the Holy Spirit, and their writings are an accurate record of God's message to us. The Bible tells us this about itself. You can see 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And Peter says it as well. 2 Peter 1.20, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The inspiration of Scripture included a divine element, that's God through His Holy Spirit, and it includes a human element, that's man. Don't imagine that any of these men, Moses, 
didn't have a blindfold on and God put some instrument of writing in his hand and he just kind of moved his hand. God worked through him and through his brain and intellect and ability and skill and supernaturally empowered him to record God's words. I want you to look at your handout at a few theologians more eloquent definitions of the inspiration of Scripture. That's the big box. God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error His message to mankind in the words of their original writings. Inspiration is a supernatural influence exerted on the sacred writers by the Spirit of God, by virtue of which their writings are given divine trustworthiness. And biblical inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit by which, without setting aside their personalities and literary or human faculties, God so guided the authors of Scripture as to enable them to write exactly the words which convey His truth to men, and in doing so preserved their judgments from error in the original manuscripts. God worked through those men. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. We call it the Old Testament and New Testament. It was written by 40 authors. The Old Testament covers 3,200 years from Adam to Malachi. It contains 39 books written in Hebrew. A little bit of Daniel is actually originally written in Aramaic. The Old Testament was written by at least 32 men, and they had a variety of backgrounds. They were priests, prophets, judges, kings, shepherds, worship leaders. Then between the Old Testament and New Testament, between Malachi and Matthew, there were 400 years of silence where God did not lead any person to record His Word. Then we have the New Testament, and that contains 27 books written in Greek. They were written by eight men who included three disciples, and then the rest of the authors were not disciples. The three disciples were Matthew, John, and Peter, and the others some were Mark, Luke, Paul, James, and Jude. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, good. I did them all. <laughs> The first book of the New Testament which was written was James around 50 A.D. And the last book of the New Testament which was written is The Revelation, recorded by John around 96 A.D. Those men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the message that God wanted communicated to mankind. And just think about that. All of this that we're talking about, the Scripture, God's Word, God spoke to mankind. God communicated. God had something to say that He wanted us to know and to hear from Him. Well, if all of this is true about Scripture that I've been telling you, and it is because God's Word says it is, it logically follows that the message communicated by God is authoritative because it is from God Himself. So that's the second uh, critical issue that we're going to consider. The Bible is authoritative because it is inspired by God. Every word in the Bible is a word from God. 
that we need to know for some reason. To disbelieve anything in the Bible is to disbelieve God. You need to wrestle with that. To disobey anything in the Bible is to disobey God. That's, that's a big reminder to us, isn't it? If we believe that God communicated His words, His truth, His plans, and He revealed Himself through the writers of Scripture, then we will also believe that the words of Scripture are the very words of God. You also need to think about what you believe about God impacts what you believe about God's Word. If you believe that God is the one and only true God and He is holy and powerful and perfect and He is the sovereign King of the universe, then won't you hold His words in the greatest regard and know that He means what He says and we're to respond accordingly, appropriately to what He says? What scriptures indicate that the Bible is authoritative? Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then in his encounter with Satan, he quotes several verses from the book of Deuteronomy. This indicates to us that the written words of Deuteronomy are the very words of God, and they are to be obeyed. So, Jesus reflected back and gave us a specific example of the words of God. Psalm 119 it's a long psalm all about God's words. In verse 4, it says, You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. And in Psalm 119.21, it says, You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. So that's a warning to us. That's a message that means God's word is to be obeyed. And there's rebuke, there's punishment, there's discipline if you disobey. I want to obey. I don't want to get in trouble. I will. I will be disciplined and corrected <laughs> because um, I, I take some wrong steps every now and then. You might do that. But God's Word tells us we just ask for forgiveness and then we're back on the right track again. Now, there's one more point regarding our understanding of God's Word that I mentioned earlier, and it's that God's Word, the Bible, is inerrant. This means that the Bible always tells the truth, and it always tells the truth concerning everything that it talks about. The Bible is trustworthy. Psalm 19 has made that point very well. Even when we, finite humans, can't understand everything in the Bible, even when there seem to be things that don't make sense to us, even when there seems to be something that looks like it contradicts something else in the Bible. The Bible always tells the truth. The problem is not with God's Word. The problem is with us. We are finite. We have limited understanding. We don't know it all. There's a definition of inerrancy on your handout. It's by Paul Feinberg. And in my opinion, it addresses so much of what we might be concerned about regarding the inerrancy of the Scriptures. So I loved it when I was exposed to this definition years ago. Inerrancy means that when all the facts are known, 
the scriptures in their original autographs, and that's the writings, the documents when they were originally recorded, and when they are properly interpreted, they will be shown to be wholly true in everything that they affirm, whether that has to do with doctrine or morality or with the social, physical, or life sciences. I am looking forward to heaven when all the facts are fully known and when we get to see how God's Word is accurate in everything that it explains to us and tells us about. We just don't have all the facts right now. If we remember that the Bible is inspired by God, then it logically follows that He did not make any mistakes in His communication. He is perfect and His Word is perfect. Psalm 12, 6 tells us, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. And that's the way we've seen His Word described in Psalm 19. God's Word is perfect, and it will all be seen as true, with no error in it. As God's plan unfolds, and all the prophecies are fulfilled, we will see it all fulfilled. That's exciting. So these three points about the Bible, that it's inspired by God, that all of its word carry the authority of God, and that its entirety, in its entirety, it is as perfect and pure as God is. All of these are reasons for us to know and enjoy the word of God and to depend on it. But these points will be empty and meaningless to anyone who tries to read the Bible who does not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is key to give enlightenment and the understanding. We learn this from 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 14. As it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God has revealed His Word. He has revealed what He has prepared, and He has revealed His truth through His Holy Spirit. This passage is referring to the evidence that the Holy Spirit gives to our hearts and minds as He dwells in us. So again, without the Holy Spirit, the Bible is just foolishness. Some people respect it as literature. Or they think it has a few good things to say, but they pick and choose. I like this, I don't like that. That's someone who is not yielding themselves to the Holy Spirit. I have one more precious scripture from the New Testament and then go back to Psalm 19. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hmm, sounds like whoever wrote that 
might have been reading Psalm 19. God's Word is alive. And when we expose ourselves to God's Word, our hearts are examined and we want to be pleasing in our words and the meditations of our heart. When we understand what God has communicated to us, we will say with David, Psalm 19:12, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's Word shows us where we fall short and where we need help. God's Word shows us that we need a Redeemer. He is our help. And God's Word shows us who that Redeemer is. This is a Torah Psalm, Psalm 19. And you've seen in your homework that the Psalms to come are Messianic Psalms. We're going to see the Psalms that are coming point to the Redeemer. Psalm 22 tells us about the one who suffers for our sakes. Psalm 23 tells us that he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And Psalm 24 is going to tell us that he's coming one day as the King of glory, coming in glory. I hope that Psalm 19 has refreshed your hunger and love and delight in the Word of God. So cling to it, enjoy it, embrace it, desire it more than anything else. And I have to leave you with a challenge. You're, you have two handouts, and the second handout has a list of all the books of the Bible on it. Is there any book of the Bible that you have not read in its ent entirety? Think about that. And take that on. You can do that over time. But there's a time chart on that list. And I encourage you to pick one of the books of the Bible and to read straight through it before class next week. And there's a long list of little short ones that you can do in 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending on how fast you read. But just like, just read through it. That's different from studying. We're studying scripture. We're slowing down and we're looking at cross references. Read straight through one of the books of the Bible. Every book takes less time than reading through Psalms. You can see it's the longest three and a half hours. I know that you will find that God's Word is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. Because that is who our God is. He's the best. We need Him. He loves us so. We need to hear from Him and hear His love for us and remember His holiness and His correction and how to live. Keep going back to the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, on your throne, sovereign God, creative, magnificent, splendid, majestic, we praise you. And we thank you that you have spoken to us and you have revealed your nature and your love and your purposes for us. 
your desires. You've told us some of what our future is through your word. And thank you for telling us how to be rescued out of sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you spoke as God on earth with our own voice, with the voice of a man. Thank you for explaining the Word of God to us in the Old Testament and showing how it points to who you are. And thank you for instructing your disciples to write about you and to help us know you and your life and your teaching. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for all over the years who have sacrificed to carry out the, the copying and the transmission and the printing and the sharing of your word. And I pray that you will uh, continue to make your word go forth in various languages and especially in those places where it's not in someone's heart language. I pray that you would equip those who are working on more Bible translations that your word may continue to go forth. We thank you that it stands forever. We thank you that your love endures forever. Your faithfulness is true and good. And we are yours and you are ours. We love you. Thank you for telling us that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Thicken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.